Good morning, Monroe Missionary Baptist Church family. Uh, This is Pastor Dave, and Pastor Scott is with us this morning, and we are here for our midweek discussion. And it's great to be with you all this morning. And Pastor Tim and Pastor Spencer are on vacation, so Scott and I are holding down the fort. So, so far, so good. So far, so good. It's only Monday, so (laughs) (laughs) this we posted after this after Monday, obviously. But this is today is Monday morning, and uh, we're here this morning to do a little bit of the recap from yesterday's service. Uh, If you were able to be here, hopefully it was encouraging to you. If not, then you can listen to on our Facebook page or YouTube and get kind of a sense of what God was doing. So. As you know, we're going through the Psalms this summer, and uh, Pastor Tim's been, I think he started in Psalm 42, I believe. Yeah, I don't remember. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's 42. I think he'll be 47, 47 or 48 this coming up Sunday. So I jumped a little bit and went further, Psalm 73, which is one of the Psalms of ASAP, which we'll talk about here in a minute. And uh, yeah, I just went through that Psalm and then gave some lessons toward the end. So um, before we start, we'll look at the psalm a little bit today. I'll ask uh, Pastor Scott if he kind of, what, um, what kind of stood out to you um, in this psalm, anything kind of jump out at you as we, as, as we walk through this on Sunday morning? I mean, I think it was helpful how you walked through the psalm just kind of progressively. And what you did a really good job of was helping us picture and and see what was going on in Asaph's mind. Mm. Like, what was he dealing with? What was he going through? And sometimes when we come to a psalm, like the the poeticness of it kind of takes us away and makes us forget that there's really something going on here. Mm-hmm. There's a message that he's communicating. And I, I was just, the way it was, you did that made it able, made me able to resonate with it and see like my own experience in this. Like, mm. yeah, I've, I've felt exactly what Asaph has felt before. Mm-hmm. I've I've been there. I've done that. I've thought that all those people over there who are not trying to honor God, mm-hmm. do not love the Lord, they seem to be the ones prospering, mm-hmm. whereas I'm the one over here suffering. Right. Um, but then to have that reminder that, no, it's not about the here and now. It's about what's coming, mm-hmm. and their yeah. foot will be the one that slips, not mine. Yeah. So it was, it was just really helpful to be able to see that, I mean, it's like I mean, the Psalms are written as as like you what you talked about yesterday as as songs mm-hmm. that would be sung, and it's just with so many of them, it's easy to see your own experience. They just really speak to your heart in that sense of I've been there, yeah, I've right. done that, I've had that happen to me too, and it's just a helpful reminder, uh, even if you're not in the midst of that trial, but even on the you know, you can think back to one like mm-hmm. you did. You gave your example of mm-hmm. what it was like being in that new ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, just to kind of put context around what was going on mm-hmm. and the Lord will remind you of what he was doing in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And I think that's kind of what, what's, what's been really helpful, I think, and really encouraging in this series on the Psalms. And Pastor Tim has met, you know, made this clear as well. It really reflects back to, to our, our experience to it helps us understand. I've often said it's almost like when you're reading the Psalms, it's like you're reading, you know, one of God's people's like journal entries or prayer entries, you know, where they're just like they're 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 expressing their their struggles and then they kind of try to wrap it around with like trying to figure out what God's doing in the midst, like David, you know, oh why is my soul you know, so downcast, put my hope in God. And I think ASAP is is uh, similar to that. So 
we'll kind of walk through it a little bit here and uh, feel free to jump in, Pastor Scott, and ask questions. And well, I'll pause here too, and we can kind of have a dialogue. But ASAP was, uh, as I, I didn't know much about him. Um, I, I knew a little bit uh, as far as, especially Psalm 73. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed this psalm for quite some time now, and, um, but I didn't know as much about him. But he was very significant to the life of David, you know, as, uh, as kind of a right-hand um, colleague, if you will, of David, and was involved or in charge of the, the guild of Levite, uh, Levite singers, like basically those who were involved with the, with the sanctuary. It wasn't the temple at the time. You know, that was the tabernacle. It was before, obviously. So he was the leader of the first quartet? Yeah. First is that quartet, what this is? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. First quartet. He yeah. probably had a good choir going on. And uh, yeah, so he was, his name means gatherer. And in Hebrew, Hebrew is significant because oftentimes the names kind of denote the the person's calling, like Moses, for example. Although Mo, the name Moses, uh, scholars believe, was, a, was an Egyptian name, but it literally means to be drawn out. And he was drawn out of the water, mm. uh, obviously, and then he drew God's people out of, of, of uh, Egypt. So Asap was, uh, his name means gatherer, and I think that's what he did. He gathered God's people for worship. He was pastoral and very, very intricate and very important in the life of, of uh, God's people in Israel in time of King David. And he has 12 psalms that he wrote. Uh, and some scholars think that maybe he, he, he probably wrote them himself or had others involved with, with writing, but nevertheless, he, he had 12 psalms, and Psalm 73 is pretty well known. So I think the first, the first phrase is important, truly God is good to Israel. And we see that again, that word truly, again, in verse 18, and it's an emphatic word. It simply means absolutely, indeed, most certainly, God is good to Israel. And I think that's how it starts off. And as I mentioned in the sermon, it's almost like if you look at music, you know, a piece of music, say Mozart or Beethoven or, you know, a classic piece of music, it starts off and then it, it descends and then ascends. It goes up and goes down. The melody changes. Sometimes it gets into a darker tonality, which would be like a minor key, and then it goes back up. And that's kind of what we have here. It starts off kind of hopeful. And then it quickly goes down. <laughs> and so this idea of truly God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart simply means that he understands that God is good from a theoretical standpoint. And I think Pastor Tim did a good job last sermon last week saying that, you know, we know that God is good, but yet we wake up in the morning sometimes and we're struggling with anxiety or depression. And so our experience doesn't match what we know in our heads. Yeah, and I think that's such a comforting thought to understand because— I think what happens in our lives a lot of times is we know the truth. Mm -hmm. We know that, and we can cognitively think about it. We can even explain it to other people, mm -hmm. and so it's there. But we get so confused because the way that we feel and our current experience is challenging that truth, so to speak. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we think that's a problem. We think that that's an issue. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that's brought out in a psalm like this is that no, it's just because you don't feel a certain way doesn't mean that the truth has changed. Right. Like, you, it's still true. Uh, the way you feel is going to change mm -hmm. day by day, yes. situation through situation, season through season, but the truth is not going to change. And so I don't think people need to get as maybe scared as what they do sometimes mm -hmm. yeah. when what they know to be true isn't bringing them the joy that they 
know that it should. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a comfort, I think. To, I mean, depending on, no matter what situation you're in, it's comforting to know that because that's that's what Asaph was starting with. Is, exactly. Here's the truth, Yeah. but here's how I feel, mm-hmm. and I have to remind myself of this truth. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah, that's good. And I think so... You know, he understands that, like you said, and so do we, you know, if, if you know, you, you've maybe had a relationship with, with the Lord for, for a long time, or maybe it's newer and you understand based on what God's word says that, that there are promises that we can hold on to that we, there are certain truths, but as you mentioned, there are those curveballs, like I mentioned the sermon that are thrown that it's like, hmm. So look at verse two, but as for me, now that's important. When I studied this text, um, I'm not by any means a Hebrew scholar and it's, I struggle with, with the Hebrew language um, as far, but I try to do my best to, to, to uh, read the, the, um, the original. So at least looking at the words and understanding the verbs and the nouns and all that. And this phrase, but as for me, it's two words in Hebrew, wa-ani, wa means uh, but, and ani is me. Um, That's also the same in Arabic too, the ani. And um, so it's literally, but me. So we would translate it as for me or, you know, um, in fact, it's used four times here in verse 2, again in verse twenty. Uh, let's see, verse 23, nevertheless, wa'ani, but as for me, and then again in verse, so maybe three times, uh, verse 28, but as for me. And it's the same Hebrew phrase. I think it's used one more time. Maybe I'm missing it somewhere. But anyway, um, and that, that kind of stood out to me because he is, he said, yes, God is true, but my experience, but for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. And one thing that kind of stu- stood out to me is it, it didn't, he didn't slip all the way down. You know, the idea of my feet had almost slipped literally means the Hebrew word there is gushed out. And the idea is kind of like his strength is, is waning. He's gushing out. His strength is, is it's, like, it's like you're trying to climb up this hill and you're just like, oh, I just can't do it anymore. And you start sliding down. But he didn't slide all the way down. I think that's an important um, truth to hold on to because we we know that in Christ we are secure. We have that, as we sing that song, Blessed Assurance, we have that assurance that we know that no matter what happens in this life, we will never truly slip down. You know, it, we may feel that momentum pulling us. We may feel like we're struggling. Our strength is gone, but we will never actually hit that bottom. And I think that's an important reminder. He felt like he was going to, and, you know, he's writing this psalm, and he's probably he's reflecting on a past experience because he talks about that in the past tense. Um, but it was a very real thing. What, is there any thoughts you have on that, um, Pastor Scott? That I yeah, I mean, it's just the when you're in the midst of a hard time like that, I mean, that's what you feel like is happening. You feel like the world is caving in around you. Yeah. You feel like you're falling down, and there's no hope for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think of... I mean, I've been hiking a lot and in several places where like there's pretty steep, you know, cliffs and things like that, that you have to try to scramble up. And I can just imagine like somebody kind of slipping on that, Mm -hmm. maybe sliding a little bit. And they're just fearful that here I go, I'm falling to my death. Yeah. Uh, But at the last minute, you're able to get a foothold or to grab hold of the rope or the chain or whatever else is there. And you're caught, you're fine. But in the midst of that, you feel like you're falling to your death. Mm-hmm. You know, I think what he's recognizing is that this wasn't something that this wasn't a walk in the park. Yeah. It wasn't just your everyday trial. Right. And 
even everyday things can seem like otherworldly trials mm-hmm. uh, to us. But no, it's it's. I mean, the reminder that we have of if we're in Christ, we will ultimately endure. Yeah. You know. And uh, I was talking with uh, a church member this morning about uh, just the trials that we endure, how they're never fun, and mm-hmm. you know, we were talking about. How even like pastors, it's comforting to know that even pastors go through difficult times and times of discouragement. And, Absolutely. Uh, I think they were talking about how like even Charles Spurgeon had a, a lot of depression mm-hmm. even, and he yeah. struggled with that. And, you know, we were just reminded of the fact that a lot of times when that happens to you, it you're, it's what James chapter one says, count it all joy, my brothers, mm-hmm. when you encounter trials of various kinds, um, because it ends up with your spiritual maturity mm-hmm. that a lot of times this this place where Asaph is, the end result of that is going to be greater spiritual growth. That's how God grows us a lot of times, not through the easy times, but through the hard times. Yep, absolutely. And so that's he good. uses that. Yeah, yeah. that's really good. Mm-hmm. And and I think, and, and we see in verse 3 why he was slipping or why he was struggling, and it was envy. And envy's, as I mentioned, envy's kind of... Uh, it's it's a tough pill to swallow, but we all swallow it to some degree. I think sometimes we think of envy, at least I do, as something like, oh, like this overt thing, like, you know, someone has something, let's say a, a brand new car, or they bought, they bought this house that's like really nice, and you're like, oh, I can never afford that. Um, and it's this kind of overt envy. And that obviously is the case, but it, it goes even deeper. It's that sense of like, of the injustice with that rub that you feel like someone has something, maybe it's something, uh, you know, they're um, a mayor or at least a perception you have about their marriage or about their kids or about their, their, you know, vacation spots or whatever. And it's that subtle thought that comes and say, man, they don't deserve that <laughs> because I know that they don't, they're never at church, you know, they're, they don't seem like they have an authentic walk with the Lord, you know, uh, they seem like they're pursuing the things of this world, and yet they have this, what we seem, what seems to us, they have this perfect life, and I think that's why social media gets people in trouble, <laughs> because we see it on Facebook, we see it, you know, uh, on Instagram or whatever, and we're like, man, what about me? And I think that's what Asap was struggling with. He's this servant of the Lord. He's serving day in and day out, day out in, in the house of God. He's, um, most scholars believe that this he was struggling with some kind of medical issue or a health issue, which seems to fit the context because he's, he's saying they have no pangs in, in, in their death, meaning they don't seem like they're decaying, that they're, they're aging, their bodies don't seem like they're wearing out. It says their bodies are fat and sleek, meaning they're strong and thin, um, or, or I should say uh, thick in the sense of like muscular, you know. Mm. Um, and they're not trouble as others are, and they're not stricken like the rest of mankind. That word stricken used twice in this past in Psalm 73 means to be stricken down by a disease or defeated. And so ASAP is seeing these people and saying, they got it all, right? Life is working out for them, not for me. And that's where the envy comes in. And envy is very subtle, and the enemy can really use that to, uh, to turn us away from, from God, mm. you know? And I think that's what we see here. Yeah, and I mean, verses 4 through 15 is basically describing that. Yeah, right. That's, that's what that whole section is, is what, this is what it appears to be true to Asaph right yep. now about these people, about his enemies, about the benefits that those who do not honor the Lord are getting. Mm-hmm. 
but then it transitions into 16. Yep. Where he starts to see the truth again. Exactly. Yeah. And I mentioned that, and this, this is something I was thinking about this past week. Like our reality is, can be skewed very easily. And, and a person's reality is the reality. And you can't say, you shouldn't think that way or feel that. I mean, you could, I guess, but that, that was his reality. His reality was locked in this kind of sense of envy and sense of like feeling this injustice. Like why are these things happening to them and not to me? I think Job was wrestling with that, you know, to the point where he cursed his own, you know, the the day he was born because he just couldn't understand. And he's like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. And yet I'm suffering all this. So obviously God's mad at me or whatever. And the justice issue was, was in play. But his reality was skewed. His reality was not clear, just like Job's wasn't until toward the end of the book of Job, where God says, were you there when I created the earth? Were you there when I created the, the, the surging sea and, you know, the Leviathan and all these things? And Job's like humbled in the dust because he's like, no, I was not. So I mean, what was it that, that ultimately brought Asaph back to reality, yeah. so to speak? So when you look at verse 16, so if you think about a piece of music that's like, you know, it's kind of like moving and this is like descending down, it's getting darker and darker. And then all of a sudden it changes tone and it starts to ascend, go up. And we see that in verse 16, it says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome tax task. I Meaning it was too, too difficult for me, too painful. 17, there's that transitional word until there's that conjunction there until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. And that was, that was the, that's the key. That's the transitional point there. And he was isolated, if you will, kind of wrapped in himself, self-pity, struggling with envy. And then when he went to the house of God, when he went to worship, it was like, oh, what am I thinking? And he says, how foolish I was. Uh, and I was like, uh, uh, I was brute, verse 22, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. I think Spurgeon has a really good um, uh, kind of devotional thought on that. But the King James says, I was a, bre- a beast, brute. <laughs> beast, <that's a laughs> you struggle with that I did. on I, Sunday too. <laughs> I sure did. Wow. <laughs> I was a brute beast before you, before thee. And I think that's, that's the turning point. And that's why I mentioned in, the, in my application that we need to be in the house of God. We need presence heals. God's presence, understanding how he's working in our lives and seeing his work in our hearts, in our lives, and the presence of others, that the people of God are the hands and feet of Jesus that can bring that tangible, redemptive work to us. Yeah. So I think that's an aspect of this psalm that everybody will probably be able to identify with, mm-hmm. of going through the difficult trial or season of life it's, it's funny because I think sometimes the last thing people want to do when they're in the midst of a difficult season is be around other people. Yes. Especially like if you're a Christian to be around other Christians or sometimes like the last thing you want to do is go to church mm-hmm. because you feel like you're just going to be faking it the whole time mm-hmm. or something like that. But I, I really think that's a device of Satan yes. to keep you in the place where you are discouraged because ultimately, I think what people know uh, and what they've experienced is getting back to a place where you're regularly involved in worship or even personal spiritual disciplines, mm-hmm. like Tim is teaching on uh, Sunday mornings in Sunday school, 
those are the things that tend to bring you out of those seasons because you rub shoulders with believers that remind you of the truth, but also people that are going through the same thing. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes the hardest thing about this is when you feel, like you said, isolated and alone. But when you see, no, other people are experiencing this too, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you realize, oh, so I'm not some special case. Mm -hmm. I'm not alone in this. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's kind of normal, right? Yeah. And that's that's what I think people can really identify with that. Yeah. My wife calls them me too moments when you're sharing with somebody and you're taking that risk to share your, your, you know, being open with them and they can say me too. Like I understand that I went through a divorce situation, you know, growing up or I did, you know, whatever. And those, that's, that's the, the, the healing work that God does through community. And I think I've had people say this, I'm sure you have too, Pastor Scott, you know, throughout the years in ministry of like when they've been away from church for a while and then they come back, it's like, oh, I feel like I can breathe again. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's a surge of, of like a jolt of, of strength infused into us that we need. And that's why it's the, the pandemic and, and all this busyness in our culture is so, is so, can be so deadly because when people are away from community away from from worship and away from the lord uh as far as meeting in church and hearing god's word and singing songs it's they're 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 cocooning themselves and it's affecting their their spiritual lives that's why hebrews tells us do not neglect Mm -hmm. you know gathering together meeting together so um if you look at uh, verse 18 it says truly you set them in slippery places so he's coming he it's almost like okay and you know how like what our brains start to like oh 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 yeah i see okay yeah now i get it it's like he's coming back to his to true reality of what is real he's not the one slipping they are that is the ungodly the wicked the word wicked simply means those who are guilty they're guilty because they violated God's law. They're not under grace. They're under judgment. And he realizes that it's not him that's slipping. They are. Verse 18. So it's kind of going back to verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel. Truly you set them in slippery places. And then he goes on to say that they're going to be um, like a dream when one awakes. You despise them as phantoms, meaning it's their life is but a, a vapor and all this kind of stuff. And then he kind of ends the psalm by saying in verse 23, nevertheless, there's that phrase, wa'ani, but for me, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there's nothing on earth I decide I desire besides you. So then he realizes that, you know what, you've always been with me, God, and I'm always with you, and I don't desire anything else. Like, my desire is really for you, and I think that's the sincerity. That's the word, you know, pure in heart. Uh, I think sometimes we think of purity as in a moral perfection, and that's uh, a miss, kind of a miss, uh, it's missing the mark, if you will. It's, it's not c- uh, correct and accurate. It's really sincerity, devotion, and I think ASAP understand that, understood that he was truly sincere, and uh, he does desire God. I, I mentioned C.S. Lewis's quote, which is one of my favorite quotes, if you aim for heaven, you'll get earth thrown in, but if you aim for earth, you'll get neither. And he remind, this psalm reminds us of what's most important. We know that this world is not going to last. We know that the things that the world says is important, the values of this world, the, 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 the operation, if you will, the world system is not going to last. And that's a good reminder for us. Mm-hmm. And then he wraps up verse 28, but for me, there's that, there's that phrase, it is good to be near God. 
And he makes the contrast of those who are far from from him, far from God, shall perish, but it's good to be near God. And I think that's an important, the, the, the more we are drawn closer to God, the more our reality will become uh, will become framed or rightly right with, within the God's word, meaning we'll, we'll think rightly and we'll respond rightly and we'll get back on track because we get off track, mm. obviously. <laughs> so, and I, I hope this was an encouragement to you. Um, if anything, like I mentioned, Psalms helps, it's like a mirror. It reflects back to us certain things. And I'm sure people, certain people, as you're listening to this or you listen to the sermon on Sunday, you, you'll get different things out of it because that's how God works because he knows the moments we're in. He knows what our situation and all that. But it, it's a good reminder. It reflects back to us that God is truly good. Even if we don't feel it, his goodness is always, always good. He's always, it's always there because he is God. And uh, he brings us back to that right thinking and that right um, response, if you will, when we hear this and we're, we're reminded by God, by God's word. So, yeah. yeah. Amen. Any closing thoughts, brother? Or? I would just encourage people. I mean, obviously this is something that we can apply to ourselves and I'm sure that most people listening haven't, have experienced something similar to this, but I mean, my, my encouragement would be rem- remember like people who are going through this, they tend to want to isolate themselves. Mm-hmm. And so, is there somebody you haven't seen for a while at church? Is there somebody you haven't talked to for a while? Is there somebody that maybe is trying to avoid you? That's good. Maybe they're in the midst of something like this, mm-hmm. and what they need is a friend, mm-hmm. a brother or sister in Christ to bring them back mm. to the sanctuary of God, mm. you know, and to uh, to just be with them, mm-hmm. to help them along. Yep. And uh, we often don't think about that. We often mm-hmm. think that something's wrong with them or that— you know, they're just, you know, off living, whatever, kind of enjoying and enjoying life that like they want to, but it actually mm-hmm. might be, no, they're, they're going through a struggle right now, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and they might need you to, your care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. And that's a good reminder. You know, there's people like, like, like you said, Scott, maybe there's someone right now you're thinking of, or maybe you, after this, you, after you hear this, you'll think about somebody that you could just reach out to call text and just say, Hey, how you doing? You know, I'm, I'm praying for you. Like presence, being present is so important, showing up in people's lives because we have Jesus who is Emmanuel, God with us. And I think that's very important. So good word. Thank you. Um, Hope to see you all on Sunday. I believe we, Pastor Tim is going to be in Psalm 47, if I'm not mistaken. It's either Psalm 47 or 48. I believe it's Psalm 47 looking at God as king. So I hope to see you all on Sunday, and thanks for listening. God bless. Have a great day.